Hello and welcome to Power Pros Podcast, episode 199. I'm your host, the Hoff, Chris Hoffman, and with me, once again, inexplicably, is my co-host and nemesis, Pete Michaud. Well, excuse me, Hoff. I think it's a little early for that, Pete, but thank you for that wonderful introduction because we are back once again to talk about what's going on in the world of Nintendo. And by that, I mean some game impressions, some news, and then we're going to take a big trip in the Wayback Machine and for this week's big topic, discuss the Legend of Zelda animated series. Yes, that Legend of Zelda animated series. (laughs) Yep, that one. Yep. However, before we do that, we are going to start off talking about a new release on the Nintendo Switch, that being Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition. I have started playing this game. Pete, have you had a chance to pick it up or play it at all yet? Nope, that one's all you. (laughs) Alrighty. Well, as most people probably know, this is, of course, the visually enhanced version of the fantasy sci-fi RPG Xenoblade Chronicles, which was previously released on Wii and then later came to the Nintendo 3DS. It is set in a world where the continents are the deceased bodies of two enormous titans, the Bionis and the Mechanis, and each of these beings has sort of given birth to its own race of creatures. On the Bionis side, there are the humans, or Homs as they are known, and on the Mechanis side, there are the robotic Mechon. And evidently, the two races are locked in this sort of eternal battle, and the Mechon want nothing less than the complete obliteration of the humans. And when the game begins, that war has seemingly come to an end thanks to the humans using a high-tech sword called the Monado to stop the Mechon's reign of terror. Did you say Menudo? No, the Monado, which, as you may recall, was actually the working title for this game way back in the day. Uh, yeah, I think I might, actually. Anyway, it is in this world where we meet Shulk, a young adult who's sort of a researcher, along with his soldier friend Rhine and his kinda sorta girlfriend Fiora. And at first, they're just trying to get by in this new world, fighting some local monsters, helping out townsfolk. But then, very quickly, the Mechon return, tragedy strikes, and Shulk learns to use the Monado, which isn't just the only weapon that can defeat Mechon, but it also lets him see the future and perform other nifty tricks. Anyway, Shulk is totally pissed about what happens, so he sets off across the Bionis and the Mechonis with his allies to put an end to the Mechon once and for all. I haven't really played past this point on the Switch version of the game, but having played through the entire original game, I know that an epic quest awaits, offering a vast, beautiful world, challenging battles, and a variety of playable and non-playable characters such as Sharla, the sniper-slash-medic, Ricky, the cute, cuddly, annoying Nopon, and Melia, the silver-haired mage. In gameplay terms, this game is very much like the original version, which is to say it sort of plays like an MMO, When you engage an enemy, the battles happen right there on the field. You don't go into a separate battle scene, and you just attack automatically, but it's up to you to use your special moves and issue commands. So for a Japanese single-player RPG, it was fairly unique when this game first hit, and it still holds up very well today, I would say. Naturally, there's a whole lot more to the game than combat. Exploration plays a huge part, and just like the other Xenoblade games, getting to explore these massive environments is a huge part of the fun. You can go to almost 
any place on the world that you can see and just exploring and finding items and engaging enemies in these locations is fun in and of itself. Yeah, it's always nice when they kind of make it that way so you want to explore. Yeah, this world is just lush and just begs for you to just wander all over the map and see everything you possibly can. And then on top of that, there are just a ton of side quests to undertake, which, you know, they tend to boil down to something like defeating monsters or finding items or going on fetch quests. But they are an important part of the experience. And I mean that literally because you don't just earn money and items, but you also get EXP, which is usually a much more efficient way to level up than just grinding with your characters. Also, the side quests tend to be fun and satisfying, and it was the kind of thing where I was starting to play this game, and I'm like, okay, I'm just going to play a little bit and then stop, but I kept telling myself, oh, one more side quest, and I'd finish that, and I'd see a new one, I'm like, okay, just just one more, just one more. <laughs> I was doing that over and over again until I've been playing like two hours longer than I anticipated. Well, that is the sign of a good game. <laughs> yeah, totally. And then there are also a bunch of other systems to master that deliver a lot of fun complexity, such as forging gems to power up your characters, upgrading those characters through skill trees, and powering up their abilities. And, you know, this being a remake, naturally the game looks way better on Switch than it ever did on Wii or 3DS. The textures are crisp and gorgeous. The models can still look a little bit blocky up close, but overall they have a much more of an anime aesthetic that meshes a lot better with the designs in Xenoblade Chronicles 2 than they did before. Another new feature is a casual mode, which basically ensures that no grinding is necessary. I tried it out for just a little bit and thought it made the game way too easy, but you know, if you're the kind of player that doesn't have a lot of time to play a game like this, you just want to you know, go through it and experience it fairly quickly, I think it might be the perfect inclusion. And then on the other side of the coin, there's also an expert mode if you want the game to be tougher. All right, all right. Now you're starting to speak my language, I think. You know, it's been a long time since I played this game in its previous incarnations, but it certainly seemed like a lot of other things have been made more user-friendly as well. It's a lot easier to keep track of the side quests and the objectives. You can also now change your character's appearances without actually changing their stats. Like, in the original version of the game, all your equipment changed how your character actually looks, and sometimes the best equipment was not like the coolest looking equipment, and it would be all mismatched, and you look pretty goofy or whatever, but now you can actually equip whatever you want and then change the visual aspect independently, which is a nice touch. So you can actually have all your characters just running around in their underpants if you want. <laughs> so kind of like your G.I. Joe collection. No, not at all, but it's exactly like my wrestling figure shelf. <laughs> this game also has a newly arranged soundtrack although to be honest i don't remember the original soundtrack well enough to really recognize the difference <laughs> and there are new indicators that show when you're in the proper position to get the benefits of some of your special moves like you know if you have to hit an enemy from the side or from behind or whatever and then there's also even a new auto run feature you know unfortunately there is no compatibility with amiibo which seems like a completely wasted opportunity given that a Shulk amiibo actually already exists and there was amiibo functionality in the 3DS version. But, uh, you know, whatever. <laughs> right. Why the amiibo hate? Yeah, I don't get it. However, you know, ultimately the biggest addition to this game is the new epilogue called Xenoblade Chronicles Future Connected, which is supposed to offer between 12 and 24 hours of new gameplay. 
I really haven't had a chance to check this out yet. I really only started it up to see what it was all about. And I could see Shulk and Melia like flying through the air in some ship and they get shot down. And they're suddenly on a brand new area of the Bionics that you haven't had a chance to experience before. I don't know at all what happens after that. I was kind of hoping it would be Shulk and another character whose fate is kind of left very mysterious at the end of Xenoblade Chronicles. So I was a little disappointed it wasn't focusing on that. But still, I'm very much looking forward to checking out this new mode. So I know you've played these other ones. What do you think? Is this one worth it? I would definitely say so. I mean, this game was a great one to begin with, and this version is even more polished. I think it's fantastic that you know people can experience this now that it's on Switch. You know, it was released pretty late in Wii's life cycle, and it didn't have the greatest availability out there. So yeah, I would say that it is absolutely worth checking out. It's the same epic quest, the same captivating gameplay, just more refined, more polished, and more accessible. I would say if you have not played Xenoblade Chronicles before, this is absolutely the perfect opportunity. Yeah, and there's kind of a lull in the marketplace right now. I think, you know, the post-Animal Crossing, uh, at least as far as Nintendo titles are concerned. But yeah, I mean, just the screenshots that I'm seeing, it looks pretty fantastic. I'd definitely give it a shot. Yeah, I mean, I was thinking that I would tend to focus more on some of the more recent RPGs I haven't finished yet, like Dragon Quest XI, but after playing just a few hours of Xenoblade Chronicles Definitive Edition, I'm really pulled back in again, and who knows, I could be spending all my gaming time revisiting this unique, intricately built world. All right, well, uh, maybe I will check this one out finally. Yeah, I would absolutely recommend it to anyone who hasn't done so before. That's our only game impression for this episode, so why don't we move along to a little bit of news. And first of all in the news, we have an update on the expansion pass for Pokemon Sword and Shield. The Pokemon company has revealed that the first part of the expansion pass, Isle of Armor, is coming out in just a couple of weeks on June 17th. Along with that, they released a new trailer showing the DLC in action, you know, highly polished and finished this time. And we get to see the hero heading off to this fabled Isle of Armor where you train in a Japanese-style dojo and raise the new Pokemon Cubfu, who evolves (laughs) into one of two new powerful forms. Pete, I'm not sure about you, but I'm still not crazy about that name. (laughs) Cubfu? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of... Cub Fu Panda, maybe? <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're also promising several new environments, including beaches, forests, bogs, and sand dunes, as well as more Pokemon, plus Gigantamax forms for the Sword and Shield starters and the Gen 1 starters who weren't in the game previously. And, of course, there are the new rival trainers, Clara and Avery, although I'm also still kind of bummed that I can't wipe that smug look off of Avery's face since he's only in Shield and I have Sword. <laughs> yeah, he really needs it. Anyway, Pete, I know that this was, you know, your favorite game to come out last year. Are you even more excited after seeing the latest trailers? I imagine you're going to pick this one up right away, no questions asked. Yeah, I definitely love my time in Pokemon Shield, and I feel like this is just the perfect opportunity to get back into it. So a definite purchase for you? Yeah, especially because it's two parts, and, you know, it'll be another reason to pick it up later this fall. All right, cool. Yeah, I will probably pick it up myself as well. Another game that a lot of us have been looking forward to also has a release date, that being Final Fantasy Crystal Chronicles Remastered Edition, which Square Enix has now announced is going to hit Switch on August 27th. 
This one also had a new trailer highlighting a lot of the new features in the game, including new character voiceovers, new character skins, some new items, some extra challenging dungeons and bosses, and of course, the new online four-player mode. Pete, as I recall, you were also a big fan of this title when it was out on GameCube. Are you planning to get this one on Switch? Yeah, I mean, I'm really, really, really hopeful that this one pans out to be a faithful port. The trailer looks promising. It's always that chance that, you know, they botch something, but it's got all the makings, so uh, I'm very hopeful. Yeah, I'm very curious myself. I never really played that much of the GameCube one back in the day, and I kind of think, oh, I sort of missed out. I should do something about that. Maybe this will be the time for me to finally correct that and spend a lot of time with this game, but I guess I'll have to wait and see. Yeah, I'd like to leave you out in my asthma. (laughs) I'm sure you would. (laughs) One last little bit of news this episode. The rumor has started floating around once again that perhaps Metroid Prime Trilogy is going to be heading to Switch very soon. We have no way of knowing if that rumor is true or not. As of this recording, it's supposed to be out in a couple of weeks. If that happens, that would be awesome. Will it happen? I don't know, but uh, that's certainly a game I would love to see come to Switch. Yeah, I mean, I think between, you know, Metroid Prime 4 being delayed and between, you know, Nintendo sort of being in a weird limbo where they don't just have a ton of releases... You got to think a Metroid Prime Trilogy makes a lot of sense, and I would be more than happy to play through it again on my Switch console. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the one thing that's really weird about this rumor is that it doesn't seem like the kind of game that Nintendo would just stealth launch. And if they're really planning to bring it out in June, it seems like they should probably announce it pretty soon. But, uh, you know, it would be a fantastic surprise if it just sort of shows up in our laps in a couple of weeks. (laughs) Yeah, you just never know with Nintendo anymore. (laughs) Yep, it's true. It's anybody's guess. Anyway, that's all we have for news this episode. So I think it's time for us to take a little intermission. And then we come back, we will discuss... Hey! <clears throat> yes, Pete, is there something wrong with your throat again? <clears throat> yeah, sorry about that. Can I offer you a cup of hot tea? No, but I can hassle the hot. Ah, yes. Okay, I suspected as much. Well, what do you have for me this week, Pete? Dear Video Game Professor Hoffman. Yes. If you could pick any game to have an 80s spin-off cartoon series, what would it be? Huh. 80s style cartoon series based on a video game. Hmm, there's a lot of interesting possibilities there. But there are two that immediately come to mind that I think would be great as far as classic Nintendo franchises go. And those are Punch-Out! and Pro Wrestling. (laughs) You never disappoint. I mean, both of those games have, you know, these wacky cast of characters. They automatically have conflict built in. And you can just imagine the sort of backstage shenanigans that would be going on with all these characters. And, you know, a lot of 80s cartoons like this, they had a lot of goofy humor built into them. And, you know, the cast of characters in both of these games, I think, could really play off of that. I mean, we've already seen King Hippo in a cartoon. Of course, he was totally goofy. But, you know, seeing someone like King Corn Karn or King Slender or Giant Panther or Fighter Hayabusa. And, of course, you know, the Amazon would be great, you know, running around, you know, biting on anything you could find. And, yeah, I just think that could be uh, really entertaining. I could just envision all kinds of ludicrous scenarios like... 
you know, the wrestlers organize some sort of charitable car wash to raise money for the local orphanage, or the Amazon has to go and visit his parents down in South America, but, you know, he's so worried after having not seen them for years that everybody else in the Federation has to come along with them to lend him moral support or something like that. And then, of course, the characters in Punch-Out are ridiculous as well. Super Macho Man and stuff like that. So I think either of those would be really, really fun. I mean, obviously, if push came to shove and I had to pick only one, naturally I'd go with pro wrestling because that's pretty much always my answer when one of these questions comes up. <laughs> so, yeah, I think that's what I'd go with. But I think either of those picks would be wildly entertaining and would really fit that kind of uh, attitude and presentation of an 80s cartoon show. <laughs> it's an excellent answer. And I think you're dead on there. I would love to see like the hype video where, you know, like one of the characters is just talking smack about another character. Oh, yeah. Cutting a promo, as they say. Like where they just look at the camera and they're like, you know, this guy's going down and Starman, he's going to going to throw him through the turnbuckle. He's got no <laughs> idea what's coming for him. Anyway, I could totally imagine. <laughs> and I approve. Well, excellent. That is good to hear. Hopefully, uh, Nintendo License will get right on that and uh, rush this into production immediately. <laughs> now, could you make a cameo as sort of like a mean gene announcer type person? I was thinking I could be the crooked referee that hits Starman with a steel chair before he shooting star presses me into oblivion. <laughs> I could actually see that. It would be amazing. All right. Well, I'm glad you approve. And with that out of the way, I think it's time for us to take our intermission. And then when we come back, we will discuss this week's big topic, which is the Legend of Zelda animated series. We are back, and we are ready to discuss this week's big topic, which is a look back at the Legend of Zelda animated series from the late 80s. And Pete, I have to tell you, I have never actually seen this series before, except you know, maybe just in passing a little bit when my brother was watching it way, way back in the day. Yeah, I mean, I have very similar experience with you in that way. You know, I remember it being on TV but I remember it just being super, at least to me, super happenstance that I would catch an episode and I don't even think I would see like the entire episode. It would just be like <laughs> on TV and I would just end up watching it because it's Zelda. Well, the thing is that it was actually part of the Super Mario Super Show. But as I recall, it only aired on Fridays, like Monday through Thursday, you would get Super Mario Brothers cartoons. But then if you tune in on Friday, you would get The Legend of Zelda. 
and it didn't really have that many episodes. This DVD we were watching just consists of these 13 short 15-minute episodes, so there really isn't that much there. They call it the complete season, but it doesn't say like the complete first season or complete second season. Is it the entire series? Is there another season? I have no idea. <laughs> but anyway, you know, this show, obviously, this was very early in the franchise's life. This was before Link to the Past. This was before Ocarina of Time. It was probably before anybody involved with the show even got a chance to see Zelda 2 on the NES. So, you know, obviously, the lore in this show was not quite as involved as it is in the Zelda series now. You know, there was no Ganondorf at this time. There was no Navi, no Impa, no Epona, not even the Master Sword. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's very sparse and it takes a lot of liberties with the Zelda franchise. Probably more liberties than, you know, anything, really. Well, it certainly did play fast and loose with the source material. But yeah, this was basically The Legend of Zelda at its most basic. You had Link, you had Zelda, you had Ganon, and you had the Triforce. But in this cartoon, there were only two Triforces. There weren't even three of them. There was the Triforce of Wisdom, which Link and Zelda had. And then there was the Triforce of Power, which Ganon had. And the basic premise of the series was that whoever got the Triforce from the other side and possessed both Triforces would be victorious. Right, which is funny because it's called the Triforce. <laughs> I know. I mean, part of that's because it's shaped like a triangle, so right. it sort of makes sense. But you know, I always envisioned there were three Triforces, you know? Because I mean, it is yeah. called the Triforce. Three sides, three of them, it just made sense. Yeah, I think they somehow dumbed that down just for television. Uh, yeah, and of course, you know, it's not like you know the Triforce is you know embedded in Link's hand or has a symbol of a hero or anything like that. Nope, just the Triforce is hanging out in their rooms and talking to them of all things. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I mean, mostly it was just giving kids like positive messages, but uh, <laughs> a Triforce nonetheless. Yes, indeed. But another big change aside from that is that you know instead of going on adventures around Hyrule all the time. A lot of the show is set in Hyrule Castle. Both Link and Zelda live in this big, luxurious palace where Zelda's father is the ruler. You know, Link even says in the very first episode, he's like, Oh, I used to be a world-traveling hero, but now I just guard the Triforce all day long in this <laughs> castle. Everything is just so boring. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, I'm really glad they never used this subject matter for uh, actual game. <laughs> I think it probably would have been pretty boring, but... Uh, I don't know. Maybe it could have been a CDI game or something like that. Yeah, or maybe like a, you know, Metal Gear Solid-style stealth game where you just... And I guess, why would you have stealth, though? You're just hanging out in your place. <laughs> It'd be a link using his stealth abilities to avoid doing chores and stuff. But uh, <laughs> We'll get into that more a little bit later. But yeah, let's start with the characters themselves. Obviously, first of all, we have Link. And you know, one thing I will say that impresses me about this is he actually does look a lot like the Link that we know from the games. He has his green tunic. He has his green pointy hat. He has his pointy elf ears. You know, his hair is really dark brown, though, not light brown or blonde like it's depicted in the games. But, you know, still, he does look like Link. Yeah, his face is a little weird to, <laughs> compared to his most Link's. His face is a little bit weird. He has, like, these deep creases on his face. So, to me, he kind of looks a lot 
older than the links that we know from the games you know i feel like maybe he's in his mid to late 20s or something and you know that he also does say oh you know i'm this veteran warrior and now i'm kind of settling down in this castle which also implies he's been out adventuring a lot and that he would be an older character he kind of looks like jason bateman to me for some reason but i don't know <laughs> that did not cross my mind but i suppose that's a fair assessment it's also notable that you know, unlike in Zelda 1, this Link does wear pants. It's much more like <laughs> Zelda 2. But one of the strange things about the show is it seems like at every opportunity, he just loses his pants. <laughs> like in the very first scene, he's getting out of bed and he's just fighting moblins with no pants on, you know? <laughs> in later episodes, the same thing happens. He's just like randomly not wearing his pants. There's even, you know, what's technically a Link nude scene where he's taking a bath. Yeah, maybe he's like a Winnie the Pooh. He doesn't need pants all the time. <laughs> I will note, though, he is wearing a blue shirt when he's not wearing pants, which, you know, maybe was uh, where the idea for his blue tunic in Breath of the Wild came from. <laughs> Probably not, but maybe. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, you know, this isn't a very long series. So, you know, I think percentage-wise, the time that he spends in a state of undress is actually, you know, pretty darn high. <laughs> but, you know, again... He didn't wear pants in that first adventure game either, so I guess maybe they're just trying to stay true to the source material. I mean, if the tunic's long enough, you don't really need pants. Exactly. That's what I would tell everybody when I came into the Nintendo Power offices wearing nothing but a shirt. <laughs> Another interesting thing about this Link is that, you know, despite having his sword, he never actually, like, slashes anybody with this thing. If he does swing it, the enemies are not in any jeopardy of getting hit by that sword. Also, it only seems to be like, you know, eight inches long or something like that. <laughs> yeah, he basically just zaps him with the, uh, you know, apparently he has full hearts throughout the entire series because he's just <laughs> yeah, yeah. zapping enemies from across the room. Yeah, I mean, slashing enemies wouldn't be very kid-friendly. You know, they were very cautious of that in the 80s about, you know, what the kind of violence they could depict. So, yeah, the only way he ever dispatches them is to, you know, shoot that beam out of his sword. And the bad guy just conveniently disappears and goes back to Ganon's lair. Apparently, Ganon has a jar full of enemies back there where he keeps all his minions. <laughs> you know, Link does fortunately seem to know some close quarters combat as well. And he's like, you know kicking guys and punching guys and throwing guys all over the place. And also he can shield surf, you know, and again, I think they probably got the shield surfing from Breath of the Wild straight out of this show. <laughs> it's crazy to think about it that way, but you're probably right. <laughs> or maybe not. I don't know. Maybe not. And then we have Zelda, who really does not look at all like her game incarnation. It's very much the opposite of Link. But then again, you know, when they made this, she was probably only ever seen as a little tiny sprite at the end of Zelda 1 or asleep in Zelda 2. Or maybe there was a little tiny sketch in the manual or something. So instead of being a princess in a dress, she is mostly dressed up like a horse jockey with riding pants, <laughs> and thigh-high boots, and a vest. I mean, that was the style in the 80s. What can you expect? I'm not sure it was, but uh, yeah, it seems a little bit out of place compared to Link. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And then, of course, there is Ganon, who is very much in his pig form, although he kind of looks more like a hybrid between a pig and a rat wearing a helmet. And he's got a big either purple or blue cloak. And, you know, in this one, he's an evil wizard who lives underground and he is constantly scheming of new ways to conquer Hyrule every episode. Yeah, I mean, he really does sort of start to run out of material after even 10 episodes. I mean, there's only so many different ways you can get the Triforce. <laughs> Maybe so. 
But boy, his voice really started to grate on me after a while. I mean, everyone on the show can be a little cringy, but <laughs> the Ganon, for some reason, the, oh, I'll get you. <laughs> yeah, he sort of did sound like that, but I can't say that that aspect actually bothered me too much. I think it was just because I could imagine somebody making that voice for hours at a time, and <laughs> I would hate it. I see, I see. But at least he has his jar of evil. <laughs> Yeah, the jar of evil, when I heard that, I almost spit out my milk. <laughs> I think he tells a bad guy to get back to the jar of evil. Yeah, I think you're right. Yeah. I think you're right. No, go back to the jar of evil. It would kind of suck living in a jar of evil. <laughs> Not going to lie. <laughs> well, I was like, okay, first off, is he in some sort of like glass like science beaker or something? And then when he called it the jar of evil, I was like, okay, how have I never thought of that term before? Well, probably because there's never been anything like it in any of the games at all. <laughs> Not at all. Yeah, there are a few other recurring characters in the show, such as Sprite, who is Link's fairy friend, who uh, was making him listen way before Navi ever existed. As we mentioned, the Triforces, who do talk to their owners and offer advice or snarky remarks. And Link's horse actually does show up, who, you know, in pre-Epona times, is actually named Catherine on this show. <laughs> Yeah, which is just sort of strange. <laughs> but again, it's kind of foretelling that, you know, Link was riding a horse in this show we never actually had in the games up until this point. So, you know, it seemed like they were kind of onto something, even if they got the name totally wrong. Yeah, it's funny to think of the uh, team in Japan being inspired by the show in any way, but... <laughs> yeah, that's probably not the case. <laughs> anyway, you know, what actually happens on this show? Well, it's sort of a typical 80s after-school cartoon fair, you know? In one episode, Gan pretends to be an amateur magician so he can sneak into a contest at Hyrule Castle and get the Triforce while everyone's distracted. Another time, he pulls the entire castle underground with a super magnet. Another time, he has like a super flying unicorn that he uses to attack the castle. Another time, he's got like a mind control spell he uses on Zelda. And, you know, naturally, Zelda and the king get kidnapped in a lot of the episodes, Another time, Link gets, like, conned into giving up his sword and has to, you know, fight his way back from that and still defeat the bad guys. Of course, another one, he gets turned into a frog. And <laughs> another one, he gets his spirit separated from his body, so he's basically a ghost. It's like the inverse of Phantom Hourglass. You know, Link's a spirit and Zelda is not. Yeah, I mean, I'll give it that. There's definitely some creativity going on, but more or less, he's just trying to get that Triforce. Yes, yes, he is. And all these plots, when I say them out loud, they kind of sound like, you know, maybe they'd come from some other 80s cartoon show, you know, like He-Man or something like that. And that's probably because the main writer of this show actually did write a lot of He-Man. So <laughs> it kind of makes sense. Only now the part of your bumbling, cackling bad guy is played by Ganon instead of Skeletor. <laughs> he does really kind of sound like a discount Skeletor or something. <laughs> But tell me, Pete, out of all these episodes, is there one that you would consider your favorite? <laughs> you know, maybe the water park one. Huh, interesting. That was the one that didn't have Ganon in it. Well, it just was kind of goofy and, and lighthearted. I they were all goofy <laughs> and lighthearted. <laughs> Some goofier than others. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I think there was just something kind of charming about it. The idea of Link having to build a water park is just as weird of a plot as you get. <laughs> yeah, it is definitely bizarre. What about the second episode, Cold Spells? <laughs> 
you know, there was a moment in that episode where I was cracking up where, I mean, it's so corny for some reason, but I don't know. Maybe I had a little milk while I was watching, but... I certainly did. <laughs> you know, Link's room where the Triforce is kept is getting flooded with water. I think, you know, Sprite did some weird spell. and That's right. Ganon powered up her magic and make it go crazy. I believe it was actually uh, Zelda's room, not Link's room, but... Uh... Yes. Of course, he was also trying to contaminate an orange or something, causing <laughs> Link super harm, which <laughs> on the surface sounds really crazy. But so Link gets up to the doorway and he opens the door and just <laughs> the water just sweeps him down the stairs. And I think like there's a like, I don't know, some VO where he's like, <laughs> mm-hmm. and then he gets to the bottom, of course, and he's like, is that what you call a royal flush? <laughs> Why, thank you, Urkel. Anyways, for some reason, it really had me in stitches. <laughs> what about you? Uh, my favorite episode was probably the 13th episode. The Moblins are revolting. <laughs> and you know, this is where all of Ganon's minions turn on him, and they break out of the jar of evil, and they throw Ganon down a bottomless pit, and then they attack Hyrule Castle en masse. Which sounds kind of terrifying when you say it out loud, but of course it is all played for total comedy but it does look kind of cool in sort of a Hyrule Warriors kind of way just seeing all the bad guys lined up you know outside the castle like oh wow they could actually you know do some damage here but you know then of course it's just all jokes from there on out (laughs) yeah totally I mean I think you know the Moblins in general in this are funny because at that time you weren't seeing highly detailed Moblins in mass in anything at that point (laughs) when the show launched yeah I suppose that's true so, yeah, you know, the exact scheme that went down every episode was always different, but a few things were pretty much always the same, such as Link constantly flirting with Zelda and basically continually to sexually harass her every show. Yeah. You know, by today's standards, it's really not okay, some of the stuff that he's doing. <laughs> No, I don't think kids' shows could get away with that today. But, you know, basically this was a romantic comedy, every bit as much as it was an action show. And, you know, I decided to take a sip of milk every time Link said something like, kiss me, princess. (laughs) And let me tell you, I ran out of milk really, really fast. (laughs) To be honest, I thought that Link was being pretty darn creepy. And in the first episode, I'm pretty sure he was even like, Looking down Zelda's blouse. Yeah. So I think this version of Link is like a giant perv. Yeah, it's literally like the first thing he says in the whole series. <laughs> yes. And she runs off all offended and stuff. Yeah, and then like weirdly like forcing her to kiss him or he won't let her go. Like that kind of stuff. It's just... Yeah, it does happen a lot. And you know, the other thing about Link is that unlike the games, he is pretty darn lazy and... Very annoying. You know, in the games, his main traits are being courageous as well as being silent, and he is not really either of those in this show. I mean, maybe he's courageous, but he's also really snarky and full of himself, and he's constantly saying things like, let's face it, I'm good. (laughs) And of course, let's not forget basically his trademark catchphrase, excuse me, princess which, you know, he says in basically every scene. <laughs> you know, I read somewhere that he said it 29 times out of the 13 episodes. Really? Is yeah. that all? Because I feel like it was like five times per episode or something like that. <laughs> I would have thought it was way more than that. Totally. You know, it is said a lot. But I mean, even at that pace, it's like more than twice an episode, usually. 
Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are a couple episodes where I noticed he didn't say it hardly at all. You know, maybe only once. But another time it was like, you know, two or three times even per scene, I swear. It's got to be one of the cringiest taglines in any cartoon I've seen. Oh, it really, really is. And, you know, his dialogue just makes him seem more like he's, I don't know, Sonic the Hedgehog than he is Link or something like that. And it makes me really very happy that Link is a Sonic protagonist in all of the games. (laughs) Totally. But, uh, yeah, you know, he's like always pretending he's sick or slacking off to avoid doing work. Although... It really doesn't make any sense. He's like, oh, I'm the veteran warrior hired to protect the Triforce. And then Zelda's like, okay, Link, it's your job to clean the entire castle now and build a water park and (laughs) and do all this other stuff that a warrior absolutely should not be doing. But, uh, you know, whatever. Right. And then, like, couldn't they hire some guards, like, just temporarily or something while he steps out? I know. There's, like, nobody else in this castle. And I'm pretty sure they should have maids for cleaning the castle. But, uh, you know. (laughs) I mean... Regardless of all that, Link just comes across as very, very unlikable, in my opinion. Like, in the games, he's one of my all-time favorite characters, but in this form, just, you know, not at all. Yeah, and he has, like, a stack of stinky tunics in the corner that, you know, nobody wants to go near. (laughs) I didn't even notice that, actually. I must have uh, had a little too much milk during that episode. (laughs) Yeah, in episode two, there was a part where uh, he's not cleaning his room, and Princess Zelda is quite disgusted. Ah, okay. But yes, notes it's all tunics, no pants. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Makes sense. All adds up. It's true. Anyway, despite the characters and the stories not really being very Zelda-like, there is actually a lot going on here that is true to the game. As we mentioned earlier, Link and Gannick actually do look pretty authentic compared to their in-game incarnations. And on top of that, almost all of the Zelda 1 enemies are in here in one form or another. You know, you've got Octoroks, Stalfos, Moblins, Gorias, Zoras, heck, even the Lynels show up for a little bit. Plus, you've got boss enemies like Goma, Aquamentus, and uh, Gleok. And I have to admit, even though the humor in this show is clearly aimed at very young kids and is always pretty dumb, there were even a few parts that got me, like when Gleok is talking amongst his three separate heads. <laughs> Yeah, the show seems to catch you off guard with just like random humor (laughs) in a way that I guess 80s shows were capable of. Yes, yes. Although, then again, I don't know if it was funny or again, it was just a result of too much milk. (laughs) Speaking of other game elements, did you notice that the blue potion jar from Zelda 2 constantly makes an appearance? You know, I did not notice that specifically, but I did notice that there was a lot of other stuff in here. Like, they find tons of excuses to use the items from the games. Like, you know, bombs are in there all the time. There's boomerangs. The bow and arrow is in there. And then they're even less frequently used things. Like, at one point he gets the power bracelet, which he uses for, you know, some completely different activity than he actually uses for in the game, but whatever. <laughs> and he gets the warp whistle. It even has the tunes right out of the game and uses that to transport him and Zelda to safety. So, yeah, there's a whole bunch of stuff, you know, straight out of the game. I mean, the one thing not from the game is he has a magic pocket that they use to explain how he actually stores all that stuff. But, you know, I guess it makes as much sense as Link being able to carry all that stuff in the game. So, uh, you know, I'll roll with it. Yeah, it's true. Where is he keeping that raft? (laughs) Right. That's one item that does not appear, unfortunately. It would have been fine to see him pull out of his magic pocket, though. But yeah, in addition to that, Link and Zelda are always finding these hidden doorways leading to the underworld, which is obviously very inspired by the dungeon entrances in Zelda 1 and being hidden you know, behind waterfalls and in trees and all that kind of stuff. 
Plus, a lot of the sound effects are like straight out of the game. Like, you know, when Link shoots that beam from his sword or defeats <laughs> an enemy. And I'm not sure if that's like too cheesy or not. <laughs> There's a couple times where you're definitely like, what? <laughs> like, that definitely didn't line up what the action on the screen was. <laughs> that's kind of true. I also noticed when he like, you know, I think he shoots the beam off of like a wall and ricochets. It doesn't sound like the beam at all. It sounds like a gun firing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, like a pew, pew <laughs> which is definitely not the sound the regular <laughs> beam sword makes. No, I suppose not. But, you know, I will say, by far, I thought the best aspect of the entire show is the music. You know, the vast majority of the soundtrack is just arranged versions of the game music, you know, which naturally includes a rendition of the classic Zelda Overworld theme. And it's actually really darn good in this show. Yeah, it's pretty funny because, you know, prior to anything on the Super Nintendo or beyond, this probably was the best recorded version of the Zelda theme, if you think about it. Yeah, I think you're probably right. Yeah. Which is super weird. I mean, maybe the CDI games, but who's even (laughs) counting those? Yeah, I've never played those, so I couldn't tell you. But yeah, I mean, if they made it like a soundtrack to this back in the day that you could buy on, you know, vinyl or cassette tape, I would have been like totally into that. (laughs) (laughs) I believe you would. Unfortunately, that's about the only thing I can say I enjoyed about the show. You know, the plots are very, very thin. The animation and character designs are rather mediocre. And, you know, most importantly for me, the tone just isn't anything like The Legend of Zelda at all. You know, it really comes down to that and the fact that Link is just so darn obnoxious and is basically this wannabe womanizer, you know? Yeah, I mean, it definitely is cringy at times. You know, I think that you know if you go into it with an open mind and not expecting it to be anything like Zelda, it might be worth watching in some capacity. <laughs> but at the same time, it is not true to the source material pretty much at all, as far as like what you could expect from playing a Zelda game. I mean, I was actually impressed by the amount of enemies and items and characters that they snuck in there. But when it comes to tone and personality, yeah, you're totally right. I mean, you know, sometimes Link does kind of prove himself to be sort of heroic. But, I mean, really, the dude just comes across as a total douche canoe. (laughs) Wow. Can I say that on this show? I don't know. (laughs) I've never heard of that. (laughs) But I can't argue it. Yeah, after 30 years, you know, I finally got to see what the show was all about, see what I was missing. And for me, the answer is not much. I don't think I liked it quite as much as uh, you did, Pete. (laughs) (laughs) You know, I don't know. I guess for me, it was a little bit of a time travel. And uh, the fact that you can almost watch it for free. I think you can literally find it on YouTube and not have to pay anything. Yeah, I think we each bought this DVD online for like three bucks or something like that, (laughs) which, you know, really isn't exactly a uh, big bite out of our wallets. No, not at all. But uh, yeah, I just can't say I really liked it. I can't really recommend it. You know, hopefully one of these days there will be a great animated or a live action adaptation of The Legend of Zelda. But in my opinion, this ain't it. No, certainly would not recommend it to just anyone. I feel like you kind of have to be into Zelda at all to appreciate it. Otherwise, it's just not worth your time. Well, I am, of course, a huge Zelda fan. I feel like that only made things worse for me. But anyway, if you do decide to watch it, you should probably have a whole lot of magic milk to go along with it, if you know what I'm saying. (laughs) 
Right. Now, aren't you supposed to drink every time he says, excuse me, princess, or kiss me? Well, I suppose that's up to you. But if you do that, it'll be gone pretty darn quick. <laughs> Please be careful at home. Yes. Drink your lawn lawn milk responsibly. Anyway, I think that wraps up this week's big topic, which means it's time to bring this episode of the podcast to a close. But before we do that, we have time for one more thing. And that is a dramatic reading. Yes. This time, it comes from the eShop description of the Nintendo Switch game, Hardcube. This arcade platformer for all hardcore lovers of toys. This arcade platformer for all (laughs) hardcore lovers of toys. Simple and addictive time killer with lots of interesting setting in which a lot of different levels and worlds. Nice graphics eye accompanying soundtracks, gameplay, and online rankings. In our universe, you have to not only reach the finish line, you have to overcome difficult obstacles in a colorful world, held level by level to give an unforgettable experience. This arcade platformer for all hardcore lovers of toys, simple and addictive time killer, with lots of interesting setting in which a lot of different levels, nice graphics eye accompanying soundtracks gameplay, and online rankings. Realistic physics. Multiple worlds and levels are not similar to each other. Unique obstacles in each world. Amazing maximum difficulty of the game. There is a choice of difficulty levels. I gotta say, this is one of the better ones in a while. But the real question, Pete, is, is this arcade platformer for all hardcore lovers of toys? Yeah, what happened? Did somebody just, like, hit copy-paste too many times and not realize? <laughs> I think so. I think there was a uh, Control-C error <laughs> going on here when they wrote this description, and no one decided to look at it <laughs> afterwards. I mean, there's a lot of weird, quirky, you know, grammatical errors in there. But uh, but when you have the same sentence repeated <laughs> three times in a description, it makes you wonder. <laughs> yes. Yes, it does. And I also have never heard the term hardcore lovers of toys. <laughs> yeah, it really makes you wonder what that's supposed to mean anyway. I mean, <laughs> I looked at some screenshots for the game, and I don't think it has any toys in it. I know it does have cubes, but I don't know. It's very bizarre. That'd be a pretty good name for a band. Hardcore Lovers of Toys? Absolutely. All right. We should get on that right away. <laughs> also, the name of this game is fantastic. Mm-hmm. Sounds like a Bruce Willis movie. <laughs> anyway, that does it for this week. As always, you can find us at powerpros.podbean.com, and you can follow us at powerprospod on both Facebook and Twitter. You can follow me, The Hoth, on Twitter at Chris the Hoth, and you can find Pete at Burly Red Yeti. You can email us at powerprospod at gmail.com. And if you like the podcast, it'd be great if you told your friends about us. Thanks for listening, everybody. For myself, Pete Michaud. Now the Triforce is all mine. And, well, you know who. Well, excuse me, princess. We will see you next time.